0: Pick your Bibles now and open up to Judges chapter 5, and we're going to be in verse 18. And as you turn to Judges 18, I'm going to say a prayer and ask God to cover all that I just announced, all that's going on. I truly believe in the bottom of my heart that the best is yet to come for believers. I wrote a small little article on the headline of the life group questions last week, and the heading and the thought in that particular article was, everything is getting better. Everything's getting better. How many you guys believe everything's getting better? Raise your hand. Kind of a trick question. Okay. Because <laughs> everything's not getting better. <laughs> everything's not getting better. But I said in this little writing, everything's getting better. And I said, well, kind of. Well, maybe. Well, it depends. And here's the deal. The Bible says that you who are believers, behold the Lord as if a veil has been removed. And you're beholding the glory of the lord and listen the bible declares and you are being transformed from glory to glory just as by his grace you who know the lord it actually is getting better for you it is getting better if you keep your eyes on the prize it is getting better if you're called and anointed and are set apart and are giving your life over to the lord to be changed and transformed to be anointed and to be equipped to be used and to be prepared for his soon return And yet around us, man, it's getting crazy. It's getting weird. It's getting wacky. And yet we're still here. Are you guys still here? Check your pulse. You guys still here? I'm still here. What are we doing here? The Lord wants to equip us. He wants to change us. He wants to challenge us and call us right where we're at to move forward. And he does that through his word. He does that through his spirit. He does that through his body. He does that as we gather in faith. So let's pray and ask the Lord to have his way in our hearts and our minds. Lord, in Jesus' name, we love you and we trust you. And right now, Lord, as we open up your word, we pray that you would anoint it, that it would search our hearts and minds, Lord. It would bring light and illumination for our path, Lord, for our journey. It would bring correction, direction, instruction, and equipping, Lord, for the battles that are happening right now. And we pray blessings on this time set aside, blessings on the Sunday schoolers, Lord, blessings on those who are getting baptized later today. And even right now, we collectively, maybe you do this with me, we collectively, Lord, we just give our lives to you right now. Take us right where we're at, forgive us of our sins, lead us, Lord, for your glory and for others' good. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said amen. amen. We're right in the middle of chapter five. We got to verse 23 last week, but I wanna kinda go back a little bit and focus on what I believe is a major theme of Deborah and Barak's song because Deborah and Barak were leaders in the nation of Israel at this time, and there was a division amongst the people, listen, and there was oppression above the people. Bad guys and bad people had taken over because of the compromise and because of the sin of the children of Israel, and yet God in his faithfulness raised up deliverers, raised up judges, raised up heroes to lead the children of Israel into victory once again. We see this time and time again repeated in the 400-year period of the judges, that the children of Israel give their lives to the Lord and say, yes, Lord, take us right where we're at. And only a few years and a generation later, they're wooed to sleep and they find themselves seduced by sin and taken off path. And then they're enslaved by that sin and eventually broken because of their sin. And then they cry out to the Lord for deliverance from their sin. And what does the Lord do? He forgives once again. And I've chosen to look at this series through Judges as stories of failures, and forgiveness because it so parallels your life and my life on a micro level that the Lord is our everything we love the Lord and yet we're in this battle and we're tempted daily to compromise and to sell out and to come up short and the Lord says guess what even though you struggle even though you are faithless he remains faithful still the Lord can't deny himself it's not really about you or me or our church or us it's about him as a matter of fact, this book is full of good advice, but more than that, it's full of good news that the Lord has done what you'll never be able to do for yourself. And when you know that good news, it compels us, it motivates us to stay on the path, keep moving forward. And so what Deborah and Brock do is they write this song and within this song, They identify people in the hall of fame, the hall of faith, the hall of victory, and they say, Zebulun, you did such a good job, and Naphtali, you did a good job, but they also don't just have the hall of fame, they also have the hall of shame, where they're calling out people within that battle that didn't show up, people that did fall short, people that weren't there for the battle, and I believe it's a key theme, because you and I have choices every single day, do we not? Whether we're gonna armor up, whether we're gonna show up, whether we're gonna volunteer, or, or, or take our armor off, disengage, stay back. As a matter of fact, it was crazy as the kids gathered here on graduation baccalaureate, and, and I gave them just kind of a mini little speech as they sat right here, and I told these guys and gals as they gathered, to not just do what the rest of the world did, but instead to receive what God has for them, to reject passivity, to accept responsibility, to lead courageously, and to expect a greater reward. That God's given to them roles and responsibilities. That God's asked them not to bow down to the conformity of this world, but listen, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's a battle. And so as we study this song, I do believe God wants us to have application and to put things into order for our own lives. Look at verse 18. Let's go ahead and just jump in there. This is from Barack and from Deborah, which, by the way, do you guys remember Deborah? Deborah, her name means bee, bumblebee, man. She was sharp, but she was also sweet, and she was in charge of things. Did you know bumblebees flap their wings 200 times per second? That's why you hear that, bzzz, You know, it's much different than every other, you hear, you know, in the flies, you know, there's different frequencies. You guys know what I'm talking about, don't you? Bumblebees, you can tell the different mosquitoes, they have that, you know, high pitch, it's horrible, you know. (laughs) Did you know bumblebees, though, 200 times per second, they're in their hives, they keep flapping their wings while they're in there, because they're doing what's called climate control. And they're keeping the hive at the exact right temperature that they've been instructed to do so. And if it gets too hot, things begin to get out of control, Bzzz, they'll just turn the AC up a little bit and they'll begin to buzz. And that's what they're doing in there, making sure that it stays perfect. And I believe Deborah here and Barack, these leaders. Barack means flashes of lightning. Deborah means bee, as they come together. They give instruction as the Lord gave it to them. Why? Because things were getting out of control. The environment was getting too hot and too weird, and they finally stepped up and started buzzing around saying, We need to do stuff. We learned last week that she called herself a mother in Israel. And we talked about that mama bear mentality where she looked around and said, No more. It's time to get crazy. It was actually funny. That family that had their children get baptized last week, the mom, I kid you not, was wearing a hoodie. You know what it said? Mama bear. I was like, what the heck? How does this happen? You know, I mean, has a big bear, you know. Now, let me just stop right now and just tell you why I'm saying all these things. Because I'm kind of nervous about this next portion because I don't want to overdo it. I don't want to overemphasize or make up something that's not there. But Deborah and Barak plainly say, some people got with the program, some did not. That's how it went down. Reuben thought about it too much. Gilead didn't want to do it. It wasn't his problem. Dan stayed in the ships. Asher stayed at the beach, and he calls out these tribes—the hall of shame, if you would—but the hall of fame. Reuben and, or not Reuben, but Naphtali and, in what else is it? Zebulun. Look at verse eighteen. It says, Zebulun is a people who jeopardized their lives to the point of death. Naphtali also on the heights of the battlefield. These are the hall of fame guys, the ones that actually did it right when they knew they were going to battle. These guys risked their lives to the death. They knew it was going to cost them something. And we're so passive and we're so soft. I hope I'm not speaking for you, but we're so selfish in nature. If it's going to cost me something, I don't know if I'm really going to show up. But maybe there's been a season or time in your life where you see your family, where you see a ministry, where you see the call of God, and you're like, I'm going to give until it hurts. I'm going to give even if it costs me my life. I hope you've had this impulse. I hope you've had this thought. I hope you've had this conviction before. And if you haven't yet, I pray that the Lord gives it to you today, that you would simply, by the end of the service today, say, Lord, I don't know what to do, but you can have my life. Use it for your glory and for others' good. You show me what to do. The Apostle Paul, hopefully your hero, he's my hero. The Apostle Paul resonates with me so much as he went about his ministry. And one of my favorite portions in the scriptures is in Acts chapter 20, where he's giving his final sermon to his elders there in Ephesus. And this is his secret sauce. This is what allowed Paul to be Paul, Paul to be used the way he was used. It's Acts 20, 24, worth memorizing. I'll read it to you. He says, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. What did he say? None of these things move me. What things? He knew that he was going to die. He was going to be arrested. He was going to suffer. He's like, I don't care. I don't care. As a matter of fact, I don't even think of those things. Why? So I can have joy in my ministry. Don't raise your hands and don't look around, but how many of you guys have lost in certain areas of your life the joy of what God's called you to? The joy of your marriage, the joy of your ministry, the joy of your singleness, the joy of your citizenship. You wouldn't be described as a joyful person. Why not? Because I would prospect, I would, I would, I would speculate that you're possibly being too introspective, like is my tendency, and you're thinking about the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. And yet Paul says, I take none of these things unto myself. I don't think about myself. Why? So I might finish my race with joy. Because if I don't, I'm not going to be full of joy. And I'm probably not going to finish my race. As a matter of fact, the very next chapter, Acts 21, Paul says this. Then they were told, Paul, you're going to die when you go to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul, a warrior, a soldier, a soldier, and Deborah when she recounts the battle she goes man remember zebulun man you remember naphtali zebulun means exalted and naphtali means wrestler these two tribes they showed up even to the point of death and i don't want to miss that it wasn't possible without these two tribes that did what god had called them to do unlike the other tribes Unlike the other guys and gals, and as I was watching that parade of graduates last night, graduate, they had the cops escorting them through town in the school bus. Everyone's like, I was like, this is the last time the cops are going to be in front of you. They're now behind you. (laughs) I mean, am I right? Am I right? That's the last time that's going to happen. Now things are going to change. And when you graduate, no one's going to tell you what to do. No one's going to tell you where to go. You need to make all those decisions yourself. And so too for you and I who were gathered here this morning, and we need to refuse to conform, receive our calling, run together, race to win. It's a battle. And I want to be like these guys. Well, check this out. She tells us a little bit about how this battle's going to go because isn't that kind of scary? Isn't that kind of crazy? You guys know who you are. Like, well, I don't know if I have enough resources, Luke. I don't know if I have enough insight, enough gifts, and I want to be used, but I'm kind of outnumbered. Raise your hand if you feel outnumbered to do the things that God's called you to do right now. You don't know what to do. You don't know how it's going to. Why am I the only one with my hand up? <laughs> I have my hands up for all of us. Listen to this next portion of scripture because these guys showed up, Zebulun and Naphtali, But then Deborah tells us what actually happened. Look at verse 19. It says the kings came and they fought and the kings of Canaan fought in Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They took no spoils of silver. And they fought from the heavens and the stars from their courses, listen, fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon, oh, my soul, march on in strength. Then the horse's hoofs pounded, galloping, galloping of the steeds. stop right there, eyes up here. She tells what happened next. Zebulun and Naphtali show up to battle, led by Barak, led by Deborah. And what happens? They begin to fight. Caesar's so armies come down, and God changes the stars. God changes the rivers. God changes the waters. God changes the horses, and he gives the battle to them in victory. Because where God guides, God provides. And if it's God's will, he's going to pay the bill. Arms up! Come on, guys. He's going to pay the bill. Wherever God leads, he's going to intervene on your behalf. Do you believe this to be true? This was King David's shield, his victory, his armor. He knew that the giant was going to fall, not because he was so good at killing giants. David boasted on that day before he threw the rock with his sling. He said, my God has already defended me against the bear and the lion, and that guy's on the wrong team. We have nothing to lose. Who wants to throw the first rock? This type of faith, this type of understanding. Listen, we're going to call it something big, a big theological term. Hopefully most of you have heard it and know it. The sovereignty of God. That no matter what happens, no matter what's going on, no matter how good or bad or whose fault it is, do you believe in the sovereignty of God that he's able to take even the ugly and redeem it and produce something beautiful? Do you believe this to be true? This changes everything because our world right now is full of commentators and complainers and people who see all the big, bad, ugly things and then start to cry and whine about it when God says, hey, let's be like David. Let's believe that God is for us, not against us. Let's believe that the best is yet to come. Let's believe in the sovereignty of God. That even though you have Sisera and all these bad guys coming, Barak and Deborah say, Zebulun and Naphtali, let's roll. What's going to happen? God's going to win. How? Everyone say, I don't know. I don't know. He he usually doesn't tell us how he's going to do it because then we would somehow claim some sort of the fame involved. Instead, God usually does it in order to enlarge our capacity to worship him. And we look back at the end of our lives and we're like, I can't believe he did it! And he does it this way every single time, time and time again. So if you're up against a wall right now and it feels like you're at war and the Canaanites are coming after you and Sarah, the battle of the mind's coming after you, you know why? Because they are. What are we gonna do? Do the next right thing. Follow the Lord. Avail yourself to him. Zebulun and Naphtali showed up. I don't know what to do, but I guess there was a battle going on. All of a sudden, God split the sea, and they walked right through it. I hope you believe this. The sovereignty of God. God doesn't change. He is good. He knows what he's doing. Interesting in verse 19 for you Bible students, lean in just a little bit. It says, the kings came, and they fought. The kings of Canaan fought in Tanakh by the waters of, what's it say? Megiddo. Megiddo is a hotbed battle area in the nation of Israel. For the last 4,000 years to this day, there's been wars and battles there. From the Canaanites and the Philistines and the Pharaohs and the Egyptians and the Greeks and the Romans and the Muslims and the Crusaders. All of these battles have been fought there historically. All the way up until the most recent battle, 1973, the Yom Kippur War took place there as well. As a matter of fact, Napoleon Bonaparte, not to be confused with Napoleon Dynamite, two separate guys. We live in a weird generation, two separate guys. Napoleon Bonaparte, the French Revolutionist leader in 1799, had two battles here at Megiddo, right there at Mount Tabor. And on his second battle, he fought one of the Turks there, and he found himself winning. This is a direct quote, though, from Napoleon Bonaparte. He said, this is the most natural battleground on the whole earth. And he went on to speculate, he said, the great battle of the end will be fought here. Now this is exactly what the Bible says in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, right around chapter 16, verse six, somewhere around there, it says that evil spirits will be given to the beast and to the false prophet and to the dragon. And these beasts then will gather people politically and militarily to the valley of Megiddo. Armageddon in Hebrew, this whole area. I say all that to say this. We were there just recently on Mount Carmel overlooking the Jezreel Valley and Mount Tabor in the distance and the Megiddo Valley right there. And you see this plain where battle after battle after battle has been fought. And the Bible says there's one more battle to come. And the horse and the blood will raise as high as the horse's mane. And it's going to be chaos and it's going to be upheaval. And right now we're leading toward those states when the nations are gathering together against Israel and like it says in the book of Zechariah chapter 14, Israel will become a cup of trembling to the nations. In the end days, no one will know what to do with Israel. No one's gonna know what to do until finally there'll be one who rises on the political scene, the Antichrist as we know him, which doesn't mean against Christ as much as in place of Christ. They don't need a savior. He'll be this savior and we can talk about these things later but I say all that to say this, What do we do in our micro battles, the small stuff going on? Trust the sovereignty of God. What do we do in the major macro battles, the things that are huge in our lives, Megiddo and Armageddon? Trust the Lord. For years and for centuries, and for generations, God has been faithful. Matter of fact, there's this one story I was considering last night in 2 Samuel, where King David is the king. He's made some family mistakes. Things have gotten out of his control. One of his sons' name is Absalom. And Absalom doesn't like David, and they've not had a good relationship. And so Absalom starts a whisper campaign against his dad, David, and he turns the whole kingdom against David. And David flees Jerusalem. And the Bible says that as David and his men fled Jerusalem, they were going up to the Mount of Olives there. And the Bible says he was weeping. And all of his men were weeping because they were about to be destroyed. And then when he got to the top of Mount, the Mount of Olives, David stops. They've got the Ark of the Covenant. You know what David said? He said, stop. Take the Ark of the Covenant back. Put it back in Jerusalem. I may yet see it again. And then David says this. If God wants me to be the king, I'll see it again. And if God's done with me, I won't. I'm going to let this be in the hands of the Lord. Now, you who know that story, God indeed did protect and preserve King David. He wrote Psalm 63 during this time. David believed in the sovereignty of God, and it allowed him to trust the process. TTP, trust the process that what God is doing can't be stopped, and we have a good God. Amen? No matter what's happening, Deborah recalls the story. We went to this battle. Canaanites came, and we were in Megiddo, and God took all these. Waters rose up. Horses began to trip. The stars began to fall, and we win. I'll tell you what. You know what the world needs today more than ever before? It needs confident, humble Christians. Confident. Confident in the Lord. And yet full of humility and love. Confident. We know what's happened. We're not freaking out over the government or freaking out over this thing or freaking out over the end times. Listen, we're freaking out over your past. Good news. Our God has won. But then he also wants us to be humble and subservient to him and available. Well, I'll tell you what. She highlights in verse 18 Zebulun and Naphtali says these guys did it they showed up to battle things went crazy and the Lord gave them victory look at verse 23 let's continue to pull some verses and stanzas out of this song she now says curse miraz said the angel of the Lord curse its inhabitants bitterly because they did not come to the help of the Lord to the help of the Lord against the mighty She now goes from the hall of shame to the hall of fame, now back to the hall of shame, and then she'll go to jail to the hall of fame once again. And she says, curse Miraz, said the angel of the Lord. You Bible students with me believe that this would be a Christophany. This would be when the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ himself, would come down, assess the situation and say, Miraz, you blew it. And Miraz is cursed bitterly. Now, nobody really knows where Miraz is. One commentator I read said that Miraz was the actual hometown of Barack. Now, can you imagine the hometown of Barak being Miraz? Barak goes to battle. Miraz says, we're not helping our hometown here. Out. How, how bad would that be? Now, we don't really know where Barack was born. Barak said he was born in Hawaii, but we're not quite sure if that's true. You know, um, I'm kidding. You guys are funny. Anyways, we don't know. But we do know that Miraz blew it. Read verse 23, and I just want you guys to kind of freak out with me because I don't want to be like Miraz. Curse Miraz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants bitterly. Why? Because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Again, I want to be careful here, but in this hall of shame, she says simply there was an opportunity to serve, and they didn't do it. The Lord called upon them, and they didn't answer the call. And they're cursed. Where is this curse coming from? Do you believe that